Behind the Knife, the surgery podcast, where we take a behind-the-scenes, intimate look at surgery from leaders in the field. Today is going to be our first ever Behind the Knife Grand Rounds. This is a new segment that we're going to try and publish every month where we're going to highlight uh, junior surgeons around the country highlighting a clinical topic that needs to be updated. So we want these to be 20 to 30 minute episodes on a new clinical topic that is still evolving. And we're lucky enough today to have Dr. Christian Jones, a frequent contributor behind the knife, an assistant professor of surgery at Johns Hopkins University. He's going to give us a talk on the surgical management of necrotizing pancreatitis. Yeah, and just as an additional note, we'd uh, like to point out that Christian's a great follow on Twitter as well as other social media platforms, and we want to especially thank him for all the collaborative work that he's done with Behind the Knife through the years. He's been a really good supporter, so Christian, thanks so much for all of your help here at BTK. And if you have a person you'd like to hear on Grand Rounds, they gave a particularly great talk on a subject matter in their first 10 years of their practice, hit us up and uh, we'll try and get them on Behind the Knife. Uh, Take it away, Dr. Jones. Well, thank you again. And to all of you listening, thank you very much for the opportunity to talk about a subject that, to be entirely honest, I absolutely hate. The subject is uh, surgical interventions for acute pancreatitis. And if I had to sum up my major messages for you up front, it would go something like, don't operate, 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 don't operate. Okay, maybe consider some sort of intervention if you absolutely have to. There was some wise old surgeon who came up with the rules of surgery. I'm sure that you've all heard some version of them, but the one I'm sticking with for this talk is eat when you can, sleep when you can, and don't mess with the pancreas. I know you may have heard slightly different wording, but I'm convinced this was an old surgeon who was very wise because he knew something that usually takes years for us to learn, when not to operate. I've had plenty of opportunities to work with some outstanding pancreatic surgeons, and honestly, they can do some truly impressive operations. But in acute care, I would be more than happy to never ever cut into a pancreas again. Here's Just a little secret about acute care surgeons, by the way, outside of residency, absolutely nobody wants to do a trauma whipple. Okay, before going on, we're going to need a couple of definitions. First, even though most of us know it when we see it, let's define how we're making the diagnosis of pancreatitis. To have pancreatitis, a patient needs two out of three things. First, that typical band-like pain around their abdomen, maybe radiating to their back or to their epigastrium. Second, an elevated lipase level. And third, radiographic evidence of pancreatitis. So usually that's a CT with pancreatic edema or fat stranding. They need 
two out of those three. So a patient could have painless pancreatitis or pancreatitis with basically normal imaging or even pancreatitis without an elevated lipase. So they only need two out of those three. About 20% of those patients who will go on to uh, have pancreatitis will develop severe pancreatitis. So that's basically a massive inflammatory response with uh, organ dysfunction or evidence of organ dysfunction. Remember that 20%, by the way, I'm going to keep using that 20% throughout this talk so that you only have to remember uh, one statistic. Clinically, um, severe pancreatitis looks just like sepsis and like septic shock. It's the patient who's going to need massive fluid resuscitation. They may even need vasopressors. Um, they will look sick. And this is somebody who looks sicker than just having pain, uh, but rather actually has a systemic response. So just under 20% of those will turn into necrotizing pancreatitis. So necrotizing pancreatitis, as opposed to the acute uncomplicated pancreatitis, you basically do need a CT or an MRI um, to diagnose. And this will demonstrate areas of the pancreas that don't enhance with the contrast. So these are non-enhancing areas. This is the necrosis. This is the part of the pancreas that's not getting any blood flow. So as you can probably imagine, it makes a pretty good culture medium. So about 20% of those will become infected. So 20% of pancreatitis will end up being severe pancreatitis, 20% of those will be necrotic, and 20% of those will become infected. This is not a huge number, but they are very sick patients. That leads us to infected necrotizing pancreatitis or infected pancreatic necrosis. I prefer the second term myself because I don't want there to be any confusion. It's If we say infected necrotizing pancreatitis, it sounds like it could be a necrotizing soft tissue infection, and it's not. This is necrotic tissue that's become secondarily infected. So the necrosis isn't due to the infection. The necrosis is due to the pancreatitis. And the infection is usually due to translocation of, of some GI bug. That distinction is going to be important in just a few minutes. So keep in mind, again, this is infected pancreatic necrosis. So making the diagnosis of infected pancreatic necrosis is usually pretty easy. Gas shows up in the pancreatic necrosis on imaging. It's possible for the tissue to become infected by a non-gas forming organism, and then you need a higher index of suspicion and you have to get either a biopsy or an FNA that you can culture, um, which of course then means that you could introduce infection into the sterile pancreatic necrosis, which would be bad. But honestly, for most cases, most often the gas is there and we're not talking about a subtle finding, but this is really an obvious finding on imaging. So traditionally, and by traditionally, I mean, according to board review books, there have been two situations associated with acute pancreatitis in which emergency surgery is required. There's hemorrhagic pancreatitis where you're actually bleeding from the inflamed pancreas or from vessels around the pancreas whose walls have started to dissolve uh, because they're bathed in those pancreatic enzymes. And then there's infected pancreatic necrosis. If my goal in this talk 
is to convince you not to operate in cases of acute pancreatitis, then the first part of that is really easy. For hemorrhagic pancreatitis, the best place for the patient to be would be in the hands of an interventional radiologist. Trauma surgeons are very good at stopping bleeding. If I take this hemodynamically unstable, exsanguinating, hemorrhagic pancreatitis patient to the operating room, I'm going to stop his bleeding, but I'm going to stop it probably by putting a big clamp across his aorta. So then I have to find the actual source of his bleeding and ligate it, and that's going to take a while. Uh, so if I'm going to damage his kidneys with this big clamp on his aorta, Anyway, why not just damage his kidneys with contrast? Ladies and gentlemen, I am telling you that interventional radiologists are witches and wizards. I have seen them do things with catheters and wires that I am certain could only be done with magic. So let them. Let them do it. Let them do their thing for the hemorrhagic pancreatitis patient. They can do angioembolization. They can do a covered stent. But in any case... Either of these will beat surgery for hemorrhagic pancreatitis every single time. Okay, so that's the first one. Then let's look at the second case of me trying to convince you not to operate. You're called to the MICU, the medical ICU, to see a patient they admitted a couple days ago with alcohol-induced severe acute pancreatitis. When he showed up, he had a lipase of 6,000 and a CT that showed no enhancement of the distal two-thirds of his pancreas. They gave him a lot of fluid, they started him on antibiotics, and he got worse today. He's hypotensive, but he's still fluid responsive. He's tachycardic, and he got a repeat CT that shows gas in the distal pancreas as well now. So if you take this patient to the operating room, what are you going to do? You're going to do a debridement of the infected pancreatic necrosis. You're going to do a necrosectomy. You'll open his belly, get into the lesser sac by taking down the gastrocolic ligament. And that's where you'll find this dark gray liquefying tissue. It's about the consistency of soft clay. For the most part, you're basically just going to scoop this out. Uh, but then you'll start picking at little pieces of it around the edges where there's still obvious infection, obvious necrosis. You may have heard the claim, there are no atheists in foxholes. And I've heard pancreatic necrosectomies described as a similar profound religious experience because you're constantly praying you don't get into bleeding. Remember, all around this disgusting, necrotic, infected material is terrible, terrible inflammation that's been made even worse by being bathed in pancreatic enzymes. So if you do get into bleeding, this gentleman is going to lose a lot of blood before you can get it controlled. That's, of course, not to mention the fact that even if everything goes perfectly, your patient is going to have an open abdomen, is going to have big drains, is going to have to come back for washout after washout, will probably get a pancreatic fistula, maybe a, a bowel, a small bowel fistula, um, 
diabetes from removing most of his pancreas or pancreatic insufficiency, and of course, eventually is probably going to need some massive abdominal wall reconstruction. I should also mention that this case traditionally has a mortality of about, any guesses, about, yeah, about 20%. So this is a terrible, terrible surgery. Nobody likes this surgery. It's not elegant. It's not satisfying. And plenty of times it's not successful. If this were an infomercial, this is where somebody would yell out, there's got to be a better way. So why do we do this? Well, the first reason is that patients with infected pancreatic necrosis are incredibly sick. They've already had a massive inflammatory response because of their pancreatitis. They've probably received a ton of fluid resuscitation. So they're swollen, they're probably intubated, and now they're septic on top of all that. Most are basically in septic shock. They're remarkably sick. And we're surgeons, and it sure looks like there's something there that we can go after on the CT, something that we can do to actually fix them, and we want to do that. The second reason that we do this is, of course, it's one of those basic surgical principles that we've been taught. We have to get source control. Source control is everything. In septic shock, it doesn't matter what you do. You need source control. So here's the, the second secret I'll tell you today. That's not always true. Remember how I made the point that this isn't a necrotizing soft tissue infection, that the bacteria that have secondarily infected the pancreatic necrosis aren't actually making more necrosis. So that's really important. Antibiotics still aren't going to get to the infected uh, necrotic tissue since they don't have any perfusion and you need perfusion to deliver the antibiotics to uh, the tissue. But they can help keep the infection from spreading further from turning into a more widespread peritonitis or a more widespread uh, bacteremia. And in fact, if you can do that, then a drain may be able to do the rest. I know I can hear almost all of you yelling at me right now, drains aren't source control. And you're entirely right. Drains are not source control. Drains are supportive care. But that supportive care is sometimes good enough for the body to do its primary job, which is basically replacing itself, fixing itself by making new tiny cells that actually do the right work. I'll be honest with you, some days it feels like every single appendectomy I do gets an abscess, but it's still exceedingly rare that one of them has to go back to the operating room. So I'll, again, reach out to the IR witches and wizards, and they poke at the patient for a little while, and he gets better. And it's not source control, right? It's a drain, but it still works because we put that drain in, we give the patient antibiotics, and the body does end up healing itself. So maybe that will work for severe, acute, infected, necrotizing pancreatitis as well. And I'm here to tell you that it does. I mean, after all, I, I suppose if it didn't work, this would be a pretty useless tangent to go off on. So it does, it's not perfect, but it's enough supportive care that some of the patients won't need 
a necrosectomy. How many is some? Right now, it's about 50%, which may not sound great, but it means only half of those patients with infected pancreatic necrosis need to go to the OR and then get all the complications that come along with going to the OR. The drainage itself can be done by our magical friends in interventional radiology, or it can be done uh, via endoscopy, either by surgeons or by gastroenterologists, the uh, very similar to the way that we can drain um, pancreatic pseudocysts into the stomach. We can drain pancreatic necrosis uh, through the stomach and temporize the patient while their body again starts to heal without taking them to the OR. And, and the next best part of this is even among those where we can't completely avoid the operating room, there's still this benefit to drain placement. Most of these patients will at least stop getting worse. That is, they may not completely get better. They may still need pressors even. They may be uh, converting to this sort of chronic illness. Um, but the level of pressors that they'll need will stabilize. And so they'll stay sick, but they won't be crashing anymore. We won't be doing absolutely everything possible just to keep them alive. They'll just be at this constant, chronically ill state. And as they start to convert to more of a chronic picture, that's when we can start working toward a different intervention that's called the step-up approach. So in the step-up approach, we switch out that IR-placed perk drain or the GI-placed um, enteric drain for a larger one. We give it a few days to drain, and then we upsize it again and we give it a few days and we upsize it again. And once we're up to the largest available drain, if the patient still isn't better, but is at that chronically unwell state, then they can get their necrosectomy, but they can get it through the drain tract. So if that's an enteric tract, we can go in with an endoscope and clean out the cavity of all the necrotic tissue. If it's through a perk drain, we, we cut down into the flank. We cut down following that drain and we cauterize just cutting down for a couple of centimeters on either side of the drain until we get this nice satisfying gush of grayish pus. And then we can use a laparoscope, laparoscopic instruments, uh, and other long instruments to basically debride this from this tiny little hole in the side. So this is called a video-assisted retroperitoneal debridement, or VARD, video-assisted retroperitoneal debridement. Why is this better than a typical open necrosectomy? I mean, first, obviously, it's a, a relatively small flank incision instead of a giant laparotomy, but, but really more importantly, Remember, it's not being done when the patient is crashing, even if they've been persistently unwell and we've temporized them uh, through until they're past this acute inflammatory phase. And we're talking, ideally, we're waiting weeks, several weeks out from their initial attack. They might be in the ICU for a long, long time before you do this intervention. So several weeks out from their attack, they're still unwell, but now the surrounding tissue has basically walled off the necrosis into an abscess. And even though not everything is liquefied, 
there's a much lower risk of injuring surrounding structures because the inflammation has died down on those and there's just this rind, which you can leave there. So you may still have to go to the OR to do this. And in fact, you may still have to go to the OR to do this more than once, but the intervention itself is much less invasive and you don't need to leave the patient's abdomen open until the return trip. You're not going through the rest of the peritoneal cavity to infect it. Honestly, this is a pretty elegant procedure and I would encourage you to go to YouTube and search for VARD, that's V-A-R-D, pancreatic necrosis, VARD pancreatic necrosis. You'll find several videos that demonstrate this. And again, it's a pretty elegant little surgery um, that can make a big difference in this acute on chronic unwellness. So this step-up approach is what is being now, I hesitate to say, but really becoming the standard approach to necrotizing pancreatitis. The major paper that this is based on is one from the Dutch Pancreatitis Study Group. It's an amazing article. It's in the New England Journal of Medicine, and it's from 2010. That's almost a decade ago, and yet we're still talking about doing open necrosectomies on patients. So in 2010, this Dutch Pancreatitis Study Group did a randomized controlled trial of this treatment versus standard open necrosectomy. They had significantly lower rates of major complications in the step-up group. They had the same mortality, but remember, this isn't because the patients who could safely undergo step-up were specially selected. This isn't a selection bias issue. This was a true randomized controlled study. When they uh, decided that the patient was at the point that they needed an intervention, they randomized them either to having this drain place or to going for a necrosectomy. And essentially what this is showing is that there's the same mortality and significantly fewer complications when you just start with a drain. Instead of taking the infected pancreatic necrosis patient to the OR and having all the problems that we talked about before, you have just a drain and you may be able to avoid the operating room altogether. So, in summary, just remember, eat when you can, sleep when you can, and don't mess with the pancreas. Thank you. Until next time, dominate the day.